all of us have various fears, worries, anxieties, things that keep us up at night, things that we wonder what's going to happen about this, what's going to happen with them, what's going to happen in this situation. That might be in the world as a whole. We can kind of be worried about world events and things that are happening. That might be with particular people in your life, people that you care about, people that you love, kids, parents, friends, colleagues, people that you wonder what's going to happen with them and we feel some worry or fear. It might be in your job. It might be with your health. There can, there can be all sorts of things, right? Not to bring up all your fears to you, but we all have various anxieties and worries and fears where we uh, don't know what to do. We don't know what is going to happen and we believe and we want, we believe that if we have control, life would be better. If we had the right amount of control, then life would be better. If we could control our schedule just the way we wanted and nobody ever interrupted, don't have kids if that's what you want. If we, if we could control our schedule and it would be exactly how we want, life would be better. If we could control our bodies and nothing would ever go wrong and nothing would ever break, we can control our employees, for those of you that run businesses or manage people, if we can control them and they did exactly what we want, or for those of you that are teachers, if we can control our students and they did exactly what we want, if we could control, then life would be better. If we can control people in our life, we can just get them to do the thing that we want them to do or change in the way that we want them to change, then life would be better if we had control. If we can control our own thoughts. That might be the hardest one of all. If I could just control my thoughts, ah, then life would be better if we have control. And we use all sorts of tools to try to get control, right? We might use diets. We might use one of the best-selling books on Amazon is a book called Atomic Habits. And it's a, it's a book that just teaches you to be able to have the right habits and know how to develop habits. If we can put the right habits and the right disciplines in our life, if we can have control, that would be great. If we can use data and predictions and statistics, maybe that will give us a leg up to be able to have control or various softwares or just plain old hard work. If we just do the right things at the right time in the right way, put in the work, then we would have control. One of the most popular kind of uh, therapies that is out there right now is called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really about controlling our thoughts, controlling how we think. And so if we can control, there's all sorts of tools that are available to us. And we believe life would be better if we have control. We want a life that we can control. I think um, maybe you have seen this book. It's a Dr. Seuss book called Oh, the Places That You Will Go. It's often given out uh, for graduation or things like that. And one of the opening lines from the book says something that I'll show you. This is the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. It says this, having technology problems that you can't control today. And it says this, you have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own. And you know what you know. And you are the guy who will decide where to go. That really gives us vision of control. You've got the brains that you've been given. You've got the feet and the ability to go. You can control your life. Whatever direction that you want to go, it's you against the world. You decide what you want to do. And you are the guy or the girl that decides what life will be like. You, we we want to believe this is true, right? We want to believe, okay, yeah, I am in control. I've got the abilities, I've got the brains, I've got the power, I am in control. We, we want to believe that that is true. We want to believe that life is manageable. Um, guys, I am having trouble with this today, so you, it might be on you. Uh, we want to believe that we can control the direction and path. That we, are you taking it from me? Okay. Um, no control, see? We want to believe. Dr. Seuss lied to me. That's the problem with Dr. Seuss. He's a liar, first of all. Uh, we want to believe that, right? We want to believe that we can know what's going to happen and then make it happen. That gives us a sense of security. It gives us a sense of certainty. 
that's what we want in life. And yet, here's the reality, and you all know this, and we've experienced it, a perfect illustration. I promise we didn't rig that. Uh, it's, it's, the reality is that continually we experience that we're out of control. The reality is continually we experience that things that are supposed to work, things that are supposed to happen, things, technology that is supposed to help us, actually ends up hurting us. We've experienced that many, many times, that we feel out of control. We are anxious, stressed, on edge, frustrated. I don't think this, is, this thing isn't going to help me, but we'll see. This thing, Dr. Seuss probably made this thing. <laughs> so here's the question. Is there a way to have control? Is there a way to live with that sense of certainty and security that comes from control? Is there a way to have that? We want it. We crave it. In some ways, we even need it. Is there a way to have it? Why is it that we desire it so much? Why is it so elusive and hard to maintain and grasp? And is there a way to have it? That's what we're going to explore today. So the first question is this. Where does the desire to control come from? We have this desire. Where does it come from? Why do we have this? Now, let me say this. Though we all desire control in various ways, we all desire to be able to manage our life and produce kind of security and all that. We, we all desire that. Though we desire that, if you hear the word control, probably you have some negative connotation with that. So we even have kind of language about being a control freak, right? So if you, or controlling, we don't, if you said someone was controlling, you, no one would go, oh, that's a really positive attribute. Tell me about your boyfriend. They're very controlling. Oh, that's so good to hear. But you're very happy, right? That's not, we, we want, all of us want control, and yet when we think about control, there's a part of us that also feels like, uh, control is bad. There's this negative association that we have. It. If you even just kind of put into Google, control is, some of this is going to, this is the first stuff that's going to come up. Control is illusion. Control is not love. This is the only positive one. Control is important because it, but then it's followed by control is a weapon for fascists. <laughs> right? That's a song, but still. Control is, control is an illusion, Mr. Robot. Control, I don't even know what this means. It's defined as Quizlet. And then this one, this is the best. Control is an illusion, you infantile egomaniac. It's actually a quote from an old Tom Cruise movie. But that, and, and control is a bad game, right? So we, we all want control. You want control. I want control. But there's a part of us that also has this negative association with it. We think, ah, maybe I shouldn't have control. Maybe control's a bad thing. Maybe that's just kind of what uptight people have. That's, maybe it's a sin to have control. Maybe that's not a good thing. And yet, here's the reality. The reality is this. Here's where this desire to control comes from. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian or unsure what you believe, this is what the Bible teaches. You were made and designed to take control of the world. Now, I'm not saying that like a, you're supposed to be a, a dictator, but you were made and designed to control your world. This is what it says in the very beginning in Genesis. The Lord God took the man and later the woman and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And that word watch is really all about control. It's a Hebrew word, shamar. And this is, I'm not going to read through all of these, but these are the various ways that it is used, the various ways that it's translated, which you can see are all kind of control words, being careful, beware, bodyguard. Charge, confine, doorkeepers, gatekeepers, guardsmen, uh, watch, watchmen down here, spies, paying attention. All of these different words, they're all about control. So control is not a bad thing. You were designed to control. God built it into your very creation to say, I've put you on this earth. Now manage and keep and watch over it. That is how you were made. It's in your DNA. So the reason that's important is because if you try to escape from the desire to control, you're actually fighting against your very nature. It's who God made you to be, to control. You see this also in places in the Bible like Proverbs that talk about the plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. The plans of the diligent. 
Think about planning and diligence. Those are basically what control is. Making a plan for what you're going to do and what's going to happen and then exercising hard work to bring that about. That's all control. That's not bad. It is good. It's who you were made to be in your spheres of life, whether that's parenting or whether that is your job or whether that's even in uh, ministry and things that God has for you in the world. You were made and designed to exercise control. So for some of you that have been called a control freak your whole life, look, you are liberated and free. You've got verses. You are good to go. Okay? And the reason for that, the reason we're designed to control is not just to control. Control is a means to an end, right? Why do we control? We control things and manage things to bring about a good outcome, to bring about what we talked about before, that sense of security and that sense of rest and that sense of peace. The reason you control something isn't just to control it. The reason you control a garden, like in Genesis, is so that it produces fruit and you can say, ha, ah, and experience a rest. And even God himself did this back in Genesis. On the seventh day, God had completed his work, and you can think about that as control, that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. The reason to work, or the reason to control, or the reason to guard, or the reason to make diligent plans is so that you then experience this rest, this peace. And you have felt that. You've done that. You've worked hard on something. You've made plans for things and then have felt that, okay, it's done. A lot of times my wife and I, we do premarital counseling for members of the church. They're getting married. And there's a lot of work that goes into a wedding. And there's maybe about like a couple weeks before or so that if they've planned hard, and they, they, you reach a point of like, okay, it's kind of been done. And there's a little bit of rest that begins to take place until the actual day of and inevitably something goes wrong. But there's at least a two-week period of illusion that is really helpful. And also, back to Proverbs, says this, the plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit. Now, that's kind of talking probably financially, but if you just think about that more broadly speaking, it's the same kind of thing. The reason that you exercise control and plan diligently is so that you can experience the profit of that. So that is where this desire for control comes from. I'm, I'm trying to help you see it's not a bad desire we have. It's not bad. It's a good thing. It's part of how God actually made us so that we get to the place where we feel a security, we feel a certainty, we feel a peace, we feel that, okay, feel that kind of sigh of rest. Now, that's all the good news, right? But it doesn't end there because as we've seen, as you've seen in your life, it doesn't always work and we get disappointed and we get frustrated and the desire to control actually continually causes pain and frustration in our life. That's probably why, though we're all hardwired with it, we have a lot of negative connotations with it. And when we experience people controlling us or we experience controlling environments, we don't like it because there is something about it that continually frustrates that continually doesn't work the way that we want it to work. I mean, another way to just say that is, let me ask you, have you reached a place ever in your life where you planned diligently, you exercised control in whatever avenue, relationally, vocationally, whatever other lead, you reached a place and you said, okay, I used all my control and it worked. Nothing went wrong. Have you reached that place? Have you gotten to a place where nothing ever goes bad, nothing ever uh, frustrates and disappoints? No. None of us have ever gotten to that place. No matter how much effort, no matter how much energy, no matter how much plans, no matter how much diligence, no matter how much control, we've never reached that place where we just go, it's all fine now and I have nothing to worry about, which is why we continually have anxiety. It's why we continually have frustration and stress and confusion or laying awake at night in our beds or pain in our stomach or all of that stuff. Why is that? Why is it? Why is it that no matter how much control we put in, it doesn't ever just lead to all the rest and peace and security we want? Why is it that Dr. Seuss is a liar? That's really the question for today. And here's the, here's the reason. Paul says it like this. We live in a 
world that is groaning. We live in a world that has been subjected to futility. Here's what he says in Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility when sin entered into the world. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that's God, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. One day that will happen, but right now it's in this bondage to decay. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. So just think about that language that he's using. The, the creation has been subjected to futility. That it is groaning. That it's in a bondage to decay. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that continually falls apart. We live in a world that is filled with decay. And we see this in every realm. You've seen it in multiple ways in your life. I've seen it in my life over and over again. Just think about how you don't build a house and over time it gets better. That doesn't happen. You build a house and over time the paint goes and it starts to fall away and weeds grow. and it, it's, Just think about the earth that we live in. Things get worse. Paul says it's groaning, it's bondage to decay, that we have landfills filled with stuff that's proof of this, right? You don't buy stuff, and over time, it just, it gets better. You don't buy a, a Walkman, and then, you know, 30 years from now, it's like the technology has increased better. Things get worse. Things don't work anymore. Things break down. Things are futile. After just a little bit, they're obsolete. You think about even just rust and that in our environment, oxygen and air and, and water and all the different ways that, I'm not a chemist, but all the different ways that that stuff comes together in our environment, it makes it so that things get worse. You think about the strawberries that you bought and you bought them and they were awesome for a day and then you're like, what happened? And you reach in and some monster is living on them and you take a big old bite and just go, oh, no, I'm just joking. You don't do that. You think about even our bodies. And the older that you get, you realize that inside you might feel one way, but on the outside you are getting older. On the outside, your skin doesn't get better and better. It gets worse and worse. Things begin to sag. Things begin to wrinkle. Things begin to drop. All sorts of things happen on accident. You get older. Some of you, I just freaked out, and you're like, no! Others of you are saying, amen. Your body decays. Everything gets worse. We live in a world that is moving towards decay. And even if you just think about nature itself, I don't know if you've heard about this on the news. This just happened. This is from January 21st. But a nuclear test monitor calls Tonga Volcano. We have, there's a big old volcano in Tonga, which is an island. Um, the biggest thing that we've ever seen huge. They could hear the blast all the way, like here audibly in Alaska. So it, it's crazy. Like they don't, they still don't even know kind of the effects of what this is going to do. Nature, think about earthquakes and tidal waves and tsunamis and all these different things, tornadoes. It's broken. We live in a world that is broken. Why does the desire to control continually frustrate? Paul says this, we live in a world that is in bondage to decay. We live in a world that is groaning. We live in a world that is broken. That is the world that you and I live in. And that is frustrating. It's frustrating. And that's just kind of those things there. But think about also people. People are broken and decay and sin against you. You experience pain. Doesn't matter how much control you exercise, people are going to sin against you. People are going to crash, this happened to us recently, crash into the back of your bumper and drive away. Oh, now i got to pay $500 deductible if I want to fix that. Totally out, I didn't plan, that wasn't on my to-do list. It just happens. Your computer crashes, takes up then a whole week maybe trying to fix it and get a new battery and get a new hard drive. I mean, all sorts of just things happen that we cannot control. It's frustrating. We try to manage it. We try to use tools to alleviate that pressure, refunds, warranties, insurance, all sorts of different creams and lotions. We try to use all sorts of things to mitigate the decay. 
preservatives. But the reality is this, and listen, some of you just need to know this and understand this. No matter how much control you exercise, no matter what you do, this world is always going to be broken until God restores it and redeems it one day, which means you'll always experience frustration. Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter how much control you put, you'll never get to a place where the world just says, okay, we're going to start working now for you. That'll never happen. We live in a world that groans no matter how much control we have. That's, that's the first reason why it continually frustrates us. That is the world we live in. But second thing is this. You and I, we are limited. We are limited people. We are actually limited in, in the control we're able to exercise. And that means that we will continually experience frustration because maybe if you had complete control, you could actually experience some sort of rest, but the world itself is against you and you're limited. You are limited in the actual control that you can exercise. And, and that's true in at least two ways. First is this, you are limited in your knowledge. You've heard the phrase, knowledge is power. And that's true. There's a lot of truth to that. But the reality is you are limited in your knowledge. If you can, sometimes we think, if I can just learn the right things, I can have control. If I, if I do all the right research, I can have control. I can know what's going to happen with this pregnancy or with this um, disease that I have. I can read all the right reviews and I'll pick the right car or the right mattress or the right thing and there won't be any problems. But it doesn't matter. You are limited in your actual knowledge abilities. It doesn't matter how much you learn. It doesn't matter how much education that you have. We are all ultimately limited in how much we can know and how much what we know affects outcomes. I'm not saying you shouldn't learn things. I'm not saying you shouldn't do your research. I'm not saying you shouldn't get an education. I'm not saying you shouldn't seek advice. We, we should do all those things. I'm just saying it ultimately is limited. It's limited because people don't know everything. It's limited because there's no way that we can learn everything that even exists. We can't all have a PhD in every subject. There's always a little bit more information that's out there that we won't be able to have access to. There's always another book that you could read. There's always another fact that you could accumulate. There's always more, and we are limited, therefore, in the control that we can exercise because we don't know everything. I like the way that Ecclesiastes says this. It says, and, and if you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's basically Solomon, the wisest man on earth, kind of going through all these different things that he tried to experience fulfillment and meaning in life. And he says this, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close and sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God. So he's just saying, I'm, I'm looking at everything there is to know. And I concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. It means no matter how much you seek to know and understand, you'll always be limited. You'll always be limited, which means your control is limited. And so our knowledge is limited because no matter how much we seek, there's always more, but also because things are ultimately unpredictable. You can know as much as you can know about a subject, but then something surprising happens outside of where you were exercising your wisdom and knowledge. If you, I, I just typed into Google News, unpredictable. And just think about how many things are unpredictable. Tom Bradley, four reasons the stock market will forever be unpredictable, erratic, and prone to exaggeration. So forever, the financial sector is going to be unpredictable. Some of you don't like to believe that, but your portfolio probably shows it. There's also two unpredictable Omicron symptoms to watch out for. So no matter how much they study, the virus and other things and CDC and researchers and science and whatever else, unpredictability always happens. Think about even in sports. Campbell Walker can't make predictions about unpredictable knee. So that's sports and physics, your body, unpredictable. And probably the most encouraging one of all is there's a black hole at the center of the Milky Way that is unpredictable. 
we're all living in a Marvel movie and didn't even know it, right? You might get sucked into a black hole, right? It's unpredictable. There's a lot of unpredictability, which means all of that is just to say this. We believe if I give enough knowledge, enough wisdom, I'll have control. But we're limited. We're limited in how much we can know. How many times have you looked and said, okay, if I know even just kind of with people, if I know what they're going to do, if I know what they're going to say or try to play out situations in your mind, maybe it even has kept you up at night, I bet they'll say this, I'll bet they'll do this. We're trying to look at the future and go, if I know what will happen, I'll have control. The Bible says no. The Bible says you're always going to be limited. There's always going to be unpredictability. And so you'll continually be frustrated. So that's the first limitation we have is our knowledge, but we also have a limitation in our abilities. We're limited in our actual abilities to bring things about. So even if you know everything, and if you knew it all, you're still limited in your actual powers to bring stuff about. We are limited in our abilities. We think if I can figure out the right thing and then do it, then I can have control. This is part of why kind of the whole life hacks is super popular, even though most people probably don't ever do them. You look at, this is the best way to peel a banana, and you just scroll it and never actually do it. The right way to eat a chicken wing, the right way to clean your fruit, the right, all these things, right? There's all these life hacks and all of these 10 life hacks you absolutely need and all of it, because we think life will be more in control if I just have the right tricks, the right tools, the right abilities, the right power to do something but you are limited. I am limited in our skills, in our abilities, in our discipline. This is part of why self-confidence and just kind of trying to boost your confidence is one of the popular ways that we deal with this frustration. What I mean by that is this. There's something that you're facing. There's something that you're up against. There's something that you're anxious about, and you either tell yourself or a self-help book or blog tells you or a friend tells you, you can do this. You've got this. Because we're trying to say you feel like you're up against an impossible situation that you don't have the abilities for, but I'm here to tell you you do have the ability, which says so then you can control it. But the reality is we don't. I'm here to tell you you don't got this. That's what I'm here to tell. Maybe, maybe you've got it, but we don't know. And you might have this, but it doesn't mean you've got everything because our abilities are limited. I love the way that Psalms says this in 33, 16, says a king is not saved by a large army, all the ability and power in the world. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength, all the abilities that he has. The horse, this was for them, we might say a tank or a jet or a missile. Uh, the horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. Now I love what this is saying because it says there is great power. It is a large army. There is great strength. All the abilities that humanity can muster. And it still is unreliable. We just think about that in our world, right? NASA, with all the geniuses and engineers, and they've still had rockets crash. They've still had things they're not able to do. The biggest tech companies in the world, billion-dollar companies. I mean, Google has still crashed before. Amazon's still crashed before. Facebook has still crashed before. Companies are still um, susceptible to hackers and various. I mean, there's all governments fall. There's all sorts of technology and power that is great and it's strong, and yet even the best that humanity has to offer, it's unreliable. We can never fully exercise control because the world is broken. Because we are limited in our knowledge and we are limited in our ability. And if you think that's not true, what usually ends up happening is we burn out. Because you go, if I just, if I just know a little more, if I just put a little more effort in, then it will happen and we just tire ourselves out. Because you'll never reach the place that you can fully exercise control. You'll never reach that place. When... You take our limits and a broken world and link those together. What it means is our control, I'm not saying we have no control, but our control is fragile. That's what it means. Our limits, a broken world put together means our control is fragile. 
which means ultimately our peace is often very fragile. Our security and our certainty is often very fragile, which is why many of us are anxious and fearful and worried and frustrated and on edge and burnt out and all of those things. Because so often, the more that we desire control and pursue control, the more we actually experience that we lack control and therefore lack peace and therefore lack the very thing that we're hoping to get from control in the first place. So is there a way to have it? Is there a way to actually experience the control that we long for? Is there a way to experience the results of peace that come from control? Is there a way to have that? Anxiety, fear, worry, it comes from uncertainty. It comes from uncertainty in our ability or what's going to happen. And peace comes from a certainty, which means we have to be able to look at what is certain, which ultimately is looking at God. It's looking to him and rooting ourselves in him and in his control. And as we do that, I want to show you a couple things that can help our hearts actually experience the peace from control that we want. The first thing I want to show you is that God speaks to this issue of control or our anxiety and fear over and over again. Do you know what the most common command is in the Bible? Maybe you've heard this. It's do not fear. Do not be afraid. That's the most common command in the Bible. And that's just kind of the negative side, do not be afraid. If you were to flip that to the positive side, that would even multiply more things like trust in God, which is basically the the positive side of do not fear. So if you look throughout the Bible, and I I wanted to show you like 100 verses on here, but I only have time for a two-hour sermon, so I wasn't able to show all of that. But if, if you just look through the Bible, how many times that God says, Do not fear, do not fear, or trust in me, trust in me, trust in me. Here's just one example. Isaiah 26, you will, and think about how this is linked with what we've been talking about. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. That's what we're after with control. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. And then here's the call, the command. Trust in the Lord forever. Because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. That's that security, stability, control. Trust in the Lord. Now, why is that the most common command in the Bible? Why is it over and over and over and over and over again that God says that? You know what that means? It means that God knows this is a really hard experience that we have. It means that God is aware. God's not a fool. God is aware that we struggle with anxiety. God is aware that you struggle with the unknown. He's aware that you struggle with control and worry and struggle with what's going to happen. And God's aware of that. If he speaks to it so often over and over and over again, that means he's aware this is a big problem for us. He knows and he cares. He is reassuring the continual call to say, don't be afraid and fear not and trust in me is God's way to say, I'm reassuring you that I know about this. I care about this. Listen, God knows that you're worried about things. I I guarantee every one of us today brings in various worries, fears, anxieties, relationships that we're concerned about, work issues we're concerned about, health issues we're concerned about. God knows what's keeping you up at night. God knows the things on your heart. God knows the prayers that you pray. He knows them. Over and over and over again, God speaks and it reassures us that he knows these things, cares about these things. And listen, he doesn't tell you the future. God isn't a magic eight ball, and he's not a fortune cookie. He, He doesn't tell you the future, but he does tell you who he is. and He does tell you about his control. God doesn't ever tell you, you've got this, you can do it, but he does tell you who he is. He does tell you about his control, that when you feel out of control, you need certainty, 
And we look for it and we search for it and we try to grasp for it in our knowledge and in our abilities and in our ability to predict and figure out. And God says, let me tell you what will give you the control that you need. It's not your control, it's my control. That's what he speaks to us. We need a certainty, something that is a rock that we can stand on and live on and build our lives on. And he says, I have control. And if we think about it, if we think about the things that we grasp for in ourselves, our power, in our knowledge, we look to God and he is unlimited in those things. God's power is unlimited. Look at this, Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know? Hear that to yourself. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. His power is unlimited. Horses fail. Armies fail. The warrior's strengths fail. Your disciplines fail. Your habits fail. Your life hacks fail. Your body fails. Your skills fail. You've experienced this. Things that you have tried to do. And listen, you've done, maybe at times you've done it all the right way. You did everything you were supposed to do, and it still failed. The Lord never becomes faint or weary. That's to say his power is inexhaustible. There's nothing God can't do. There's no control he doesn't have. There's nothing in your life that God doesn't have power over. There's nothing in your life that God doesn't have power that he can exercise and bring about change and bring about difference. There's nothing too big for him in your life. And he doesn't get tired or weary. Sometimes you exercise, right? And I think we were, we were on a walk not that long ago around a lake and just seeing this person like lap us multiple times, you know, just like they... I'm going to be tired after two laps around the lake walking. And they are just like, there they go again. And just, wow, that person never becomes faint or weary. But even they will become faint and weary. Your abilities are limited. God's are not. He created the whole earth and he never becomes faint or weary, which means the things in your life, he's not tired. He's not tired he has the power to handle. You might be tired. You might get to the place where you say, I can't do this anymore. God never gets to that place. Isn't that amazing? There are things in our life that we get to that place and we just feel like, I can't do it anymore. I'm burnt out. God has never been burnt out. He's never said, I, I, I just, whew, we need a break. He's never said that. God doesn't grow faint or weary. He has control and his abilities are unlimited and his knowledge is unlimited. There's no limit to his understanding. Nothing surprises God. Nothing throws him off. No new variant pops up that God says, whoa, didn't see that coming. No knee goes bad. No tornado happens. Nothing happens that God says, I don't understand this. This is be, God isn't looking at TikTok life hack videos and going, whoa, that's how you peel a banana? That's never happened. God, there's no limit to his understanding. There's no limit to what God knows. We are limited in our ability. God, know, listen, here's what this means. God knows how to govern the world. We do our best. We try to learn. We try to figure things out. God knows what he's doing, which means this, by the way, even the things that we don't understand, which there are plenty of, there is plenty of stuff in this world that I don't understand why God does it or doesn't do it. There's plenty of stuff in my life that I do not understand, that I have asked God and I have wondered, and there's plenty of stuff in your life. I know that. But we don't understand. God is Unlimited. There's no limit to his understanding of how the world works and the best ways to govern the world. He's not overwhelmed. He's not surprised. But I love this. It goes deeper than that. It's not just his knowledge of how to govern the world. There's no limit to his understanding of you. Here's how 
Jesus says this, talking about anxiety and worry. Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile, that's the non-Christian world, eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. And there's plenty of places that speak to this in the Bible, but what Jesus is saying here is you've got things that you're worried about. You've got things that you're anxious about. You've got things that you, that you actually tangibly need. And God knows your needs. Even down to the things about drinking and eating and, and other, tra- and other um, sections of the Bible about what you wear. God knows what you need. He knows what you need in your life. You've got needs. You've got hurts. You've got pains. And God knows them. He, There's no limit to his understanding of the world. But listen, there is no limit to his understanding of you. No limit. He understands you. There are people that do not get you, right? Or there's people that know you. And there's people that, you know, those closest to you, hopefully they they begin to understand. But but no one can ever 100% fully know you. But God does. There's no limit to his understanding. The thoughts in your mind, the the burdens and the cares in your heart, the things from your past, the things now, the things that will happen, he knows what you need. He knows who you are. No limit to his understanding. He has control. How do we experience the control we long for? First of all, we see that God invites us to bring our concerns about this to him and tells us he cares about it. Then he tells us who he is, that while we don't have control, he has all power. Our power is limited. He has all power. Our knowledge is limited. He has all knowledge. No limits to who he is. But it goes further than that. These are not just properties of God. They're not just properties or things that are true about him. They're not just attributes of God. They're not just properties. They are activities They're not just attributes, they are actions. And here's what I mean by that. It's not just that God knows everything and has all power, it's that if you are in relationship with him, he uses all of that knowledge and all of that power for you. It's not just stuff that's true about God. He doesn't just say, yeah, I'm the smartest person that ever was and the strongest person that ever was. And you say, well, that's really nice, I could use some of that. It's that he specifically tells us over and over and over again, I am unlimited in power, I'm unlimited in ability and wisdom, and all of that I use for you. Here's how the psalm says it. I call to the Lord in distress. That might be where you are. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? That's that saying, look at their power, but, but they're just human. The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. There's all this power that exists. There's all this opposition and trials and fear and distress that exists But he says, I won't be afraid because the Lord is for me. So it's not just to say that God has unlimited power. It's not just to say that he has unlimited wisdom. It's to say, yeah, and he's for you. There are people in this world that have a lot of power. But that doesn't mean that they're using that for you. There's people in this world that have a lot of wisdom. But that doesn't mean that they're using all that wisdom in helping you. God. Is unlimited in power, unlimited in wisdom, and he is for you. He is absolutely for you, which means you have stuff in your life currently and things that you don't even know about ahead of you in life that are scary, that are distressing, that could provoke anxiety and fear. You have stuff like that coming, and God says, I'm for you. God says, I am a God that is for you. I, I don't have it on here, but Romans 8 says that if, he, if God would give us his own son, then how much more would he give us all things? And that doesn't mean that whatever you want, if God would give me Jesus, he'll give me this cake. If God would give me Jesus, I'll get a new car. It doesn't mean that. 
But he's saying, if he, is, if he has proven how much he's for you by sending Jesus to this earth to die a brutal, horrible death in our place and experience the physical, emotional, spiritual separation from God on the cross, becoming sin for us, if he is that much for you, then we can trust and know his intentions in our life are absolute good. And even when we don't understand, and even when we would do it differently, in his unlimited wisdom and in his unlimited power, he is always, always working for you. Do you have anyone in your life that you can say, I know they're for me? It's a beautiful thing when you have that, right? It's a beautiful thing in your life when you go, I know. They are for me. And we have people like that, but usually there's some limit, something. If you became a Nazi and started doing awful things, maybe they wouldn't be for you anymore. There's usually some limit. God is a person that looks at you and says, I am for you. That's a beautiful truth to remember. The person in control of this whole world, if you belong to him, says, I'm for you. The future is uncertain, but your father is not uncertain. Dr. Seuss is a liar because he says, you're on your own. The Bible says, no, you're not. The Bible says, even when the world feels out of control and the head in your, the brains in your head and the feet in your shoes don't lead you where you thought it was going to lead you, you have a God who's in control and is for you. We all want peace. We all want to experience some sort of control that then leads to some sort of peace or security or certainty in our life. We all want that. We desire that. Pursue it with our abilities and our knowledge, but the reality is it comes as we root ourselves in the one who is in total control. Listen, you will never be in control fully but you have the one who has all control, who is for you. That's, that's what gives us the control, experience, and peace that we want. We don't have it, but he has it, and we belong to him. So let me just close with some practical things of what this means for us. Here's what it means. First of all, we're going to take communion in just a moment. And as we take communion, we have an opportunity to pray. And what I want to encourage you to do is to confess if there is ways in your life where you have not been trusting in him. You've been trusting in, if I just get the right information, or if I just have the right abilities, or if I can just figure this out, then things will go well, then I'll have control, but you haven't been trusting in him. You've been trusting in horses. Probably not literally, but you've been trusting in armies and warriors and, and wisdom. You've been trusting in that, but not him. You believe in God, but maybe you functionally live as an atheist. So I want to encourage you to confess that. Don't just start with saying, okay, from this day forward, I will trust. But confess, God, I haven't trusted you. I haven't trusted you. I've trusted myself. I've trusted in other people and other abilities. And Start there. And listen, if you're not a Christian, that begins with just saying, I haven't trusted you in my life. And I want to trust you with my whole life. I want to trust and believe that you did send your son to die for me, and it proves how much you are for me. I trust you with my life. That's the first thing. The second thing is, whatever's going on in your life where you might feel that tension, that anxiety, that worry, that lack of peace, that craving for control and certainty, what we need to do, and I was doing this this week, and it was so helpful. This is, this is how the Bible so often reorients us and recenters us, is that you have to recount God's faithfulness to you. You have to rehearse and remember his faithfulness to you. God has been faithful to you. Over and over and over again in your life, he has shown up. And I don't know all the ways. And I haven't seen all the things that he has done. I know there's prayers that you've prayed that haven't been answered. But God has been faithful to you. 
There are times that you ask God to show up and he came through. There are times that he didn't show up in the way that you wanted him to and yet he met your heart in sweet ways. God has been faithful to you. And we have to rehearse those things and remember those things and say, God, you did this and you did this and you did this and remind yourself. That builds your trust once again. It helps you to be confident in who he is. And then third is this. Act. Do. Work. Exercise the control that you were actually called to live with. The reason I say that is because trusting in God and trusting in his control doesn't mean we don't do anything. Because sometimes it's our fear of not having control that actually keeps us from doing anything. But God has things that he's called you to do, responsibilities that he's given you. And when we trust in him, we can actually be faithful and obedient and make diligent plans and be energetic in things and be on guard and shamar and all those things. We can do all that because we're trusting that God is able to accomplish through us and we're trusting that even if it doesn't work out, He's in control. So it pushes us to activity, but it also pushes us to surrender and rest. To know, okay, I'm going to do. I'm going to engage. I'm going to have that conversation. I'm going to invest my life in this way. I'm going to serve in this way. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going I'm to be faithful. And yet, I'm going to surrender. Saying, I know the world is broken, and I know I'm limited. And I know that God's in control. It gives us a surrender and a peace. We don't know what tomorrow brings, but we still engage today. When we take communion, we remember his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And you know what we remember? Is that in the moment, hours before his death, Jesus is in the garden and he prays. You've heard, you've heard this before, but he prays and says, not my will, but your will be done. What's he doing? Giving up control. Totally surrendering to God. Totally saying that, God, there might even be a different way. If there was a way to do this, if, if there, it's possible that you would let this cup pass, if, if there's another, but nevertheless, not my control, but yours. That Jesus gave up all control for you and I. Jesus actually entered into an uncontrollable, chaotic cross for you and I so that we would have peace, so that we could experience the certainty and security and stability of being in his family. He did that. And if he did that, and if the Father would send his son to do that, we can trust him. We can surrender to him whatever's going on in your life. So as you take communion, do some of what we talked about. Confess, rehearse God's faithfulness, surrender, and remind yourself, you are for me. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you are for us. And God, I know that there are people right now that uh, are struggling. Just remind them, and even as they drink and eat, remind them with the physical reminder that you are for them. You've always been and always will be. Let this truth go deeper into our hearts as we sing and as we take communion. In your name, Jesus, amen.